So I have a number of things I'd like to, to offer tonight. And it really comes out of uh, thinking about practice and how as we practice, as the, the months and years go by, we, we really learn to recognize the patterns and the, the tendencies that keep us uh, attached, you know, that keep us uh, caught up and unable to see clearly, the things that perpetuate our ignorance. And uh, there's so many things that one could mention on this account. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, the, fortunately, the, the Buddha uh, is not absent on commenting on all of this as well. Um, the, the Buddhist teachings are, are very rich. And one of the things I love about them is that um, he comes at ignorance and freedom from ignorance from so many different angles. And what often happens is that, you know, you may not get it in this particular teaching, you may not get it in that one, but sooner or later, something um, takes root and one begins to see it. It's almost as if the, the mind is ripe or ready to hear it or a particular teaching speaks to us in the way that our mind works. You know, and, and so it's so rich. I mean, uh, I don't know about you, but it's just one of the things I love so much about, uh, about Buddhism. And I remember some, one time, some time ago when I was talking to um, one of uh, my teachers after a talk he gave, and I was complimenting him on it uh, and telling him how valuable it was. And, and you know, he said he was glad, glad to be helpful. But then he said something really interesting. He said, you know, it, it's the same talk every night. <laughs> it's just that we come at it from a lot of different angles. You know, we're, it's all about suffering and the end of suffering, ignorance and the realization of wisdom. And uh, we come at it uh, from different angles. So what I want to do tonight is come at it from a couple of angles and hopefully something uh, will be useful. So uh, one of the things I want to look at is, um, just as I said, we're, we're looking at tendencies that um, are deeply rooted in all of us um, that obstruct our capacity to see things clearly or that keep us caught up in ignorance in one way or another. And one of these is a very strong tendency uh, to, to seek gratification through the senses. We're perpetually looking for gratification through the senses. And, and this isn't just gratification through the physical senses, although it certainly includes that, um, but it's also a gratification through the mind, through the thinking processes and everything that the mind is capable of. So it's not just delicious foods and comfortable places. You know, we all know about that, getting our zafu just right. And, uh, making sure that our, our beds and our, our sleeping places are comfortable, our chairs and what have you. But it, it's also the tendency to get lost in, in, in mental states that uh, appear to be bringing some kind of satisfaction into the system. You know, it, we, we tend to get lost in things because they're, they're, there's some kind of gratification that is being promised by getting lost in this particular mental state. So, for example, a lot of problem solving. You know, who hasn't spent a tremendous amount of time <laughs> thinking about things and trying to figure it out and solve all kinds of problems? Or, or dealing with difficult people, dealing with the difficult conditions of our lives. The mind just goes on and on about this stuff. Or, or one thing that, you know, somebody was reporting on recently, just, just the thinking and thinking and thinking about ourselves. You know, thinking about the way that we are and the way that we aren't the way we want to be. How much of our time and energy 
is spent in that kind of, uh, that uh, stream of consciousness. We're just incessantly evaluating how things are going, and not just in practice, in life. It's like, you know, how am I doing? How's it going? Is it, am I okay? Uh, this kind of thing. So, so you may have seen some of this uh, as you've practiced through the years. <laughs> you know, and at, at very subtle levels, the mind is seeking some kind of um, gratification. It, it, it's, it's seeking uh, some kind of satisfaction. Yeah? Just watch it. That's, that's what it's doing. And, and, and on the one hand, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I can't find fault with that. You know, this is completely understandable. There, there's, like when it comes to the physical realm in particular, there's so many wonderful things to, to, to go after, <laughs> to seek and to try to be gratified by, you know. And certainly when it comes to the mind, there's all kinds of thrilling experiences, you know, that we can uh, go after. I mean, there's nothing, to me, there's nothing more thrilling than figuring things out. You know, have you watched, have you seen how the mind just loves to figure things out? You know, fortunately, it's like that, because it's a huge uh, resource for us. You know, this, this capacity that is uniquely human is, is, is fabulous. Yeah, you know, but uh, unfortunately, a lot of the time, it's sort of like, you know, figuring out the design in the carpet or the tiles or something like that, you know, just kind of getting lost in this kind of thinking and being preoccupied with how things work, you know, how it happens. And, but there's a certain fun in it, you know, it's gratifying. But the difficulty here, and this is where we get into the heart of the teachings, you know, is that uh, the tendency is so great you know, it's so incessant that we may not know that um, we're doing it. We don't know how much we're doing it. We don't know that we're doing it and how often we're doing it. You know, we're caught up a heck of a whole lot of the time. And every now and then we snap out of it. You know, so, so we just get lost in sensations and feelings and, and thoughts. And um, at times these can be so strong that the whole process of it just overtakes us, overtakes our experience. And, you know, because we don't see, we, we can't adequately question whether or not the going with all of that is serving us. Whether or not, you know, it's like, is there really the pot of the gold at the end of the rainbow? Is it, is it, are we really actually gratified in any optimal way for all the effort to, to seek that kind of gratification? And, and, and I think this is where it starts to get intense, is that we don't, also don't realize the pain of being at the mercy of these kinds of impulses. Oh, man. <laughs> Somebody was talking about this recently, too. It's just, oh. You know, they we're incessantly caught up. And one has to be able to stand back enough from that, just to have a little bit of perspective on it, to be able to feel that sense of um, the pain that we're in. We have to first see that we're caught up uh, and then um, be able to recollect, to remember, to turn to the experience of what it's like in that experience. What's it like to be caught up? And dare, if you will, to hang in there and be overwhelmed by it. (laughs) Dare to feel what it feels like. So, you know, we have to cultivate, obviously, to be able to do that, a very 
equanimous um, heart, <laughs> a very equanimous uh, posture, if you will, or, or place in the heart, you know, that doesn't have a view about the fact of whatever it is that we're caught up in, whether it's uh, food or sensations or thoughts and ideas. You, you literally have to be able to develop a capacity that says, um, that doesn't quarrel with that that doesn't have something to say about the fact of that or the experience of that, but just knows it, is aware of it. And from that place, then one can feel the the pain of it. And a lot of practice is just noticing that and noticing the letting it go, noticing the being caught up and noticing the letting it go so that the, the mind begins over months and years and possibly lifetimes, you know, to have enough, to collect enough data, if you will, to be able to um, discern for itself that uh, this whole experience of being constantly seeking um, experience through the body and mind is, is, not, uh, is not a very pleasant uh, event, not a very pleasant happening. But given all of that, I think most importantly, what happens is that uh, we may not recognize that when we're lost in sights and sounds and ideas and all kinds of sensations, that we're we're actually, when we're deep in that especially, we've lost the capacity to recognize that gratification through the senses is not the highest happiness. (laughs) It can sure feel like it. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, the Buddha is very clear on this teaching, particularly in the Satipatthana Sutta, where when he talks about feeling, and he makes the distinction between what he calls worldly feeling, this is the, the gratification through the senses, the pleasures and pains of that, and unworldly feeling, which is the, the capacity for non-attachment, the capacity for renunciation, the capacity for kindness and compassion. And I think it's very clear that's what what he's pointing to here. It's kind of like, you know, you want some pleasure? (laughs) Try renunciation. Now, Now you're really talking about something that is profoundly peaceful, you know, profoundly happy. But we can't see it when the mind and body are so caught up uh, in the sensory realm. You know, it, it's, one has to be able to pull back and, and see for ourselves, you know, that, that getting um, lost in sensory experience is, is kind of like settling for a temporary fix, you know. It's like, well, it's good enough. But, you know, you could have profound peace. Or it's like, like settling for a little morsel or a bite when you could have the whole enchilada, you know. And that's, that's what our hunts do. They, they, they don't settle for anything but the whole enchilada. You know, that, that total, uh, complete and utter uh, relinquishment of, of this kind of uh, attachment. So it's a, it's a fascinating thing we're caught up in. We're... Um, and what we're practicing with. And a lot of practice um, really has to do with examining all of this. Just seeing it for ourselves, like don't, don't take our word for it. 
see it for ourselves and, and in a way, sorting it out for ourselves. You know, that, that, that each of our minds individually has to see this and figure it out. It's not enough to get it intellectually. You've got to see it and be there for it when it's happening and go, oh, yeah, <laughs> it really is true. <laughs> I feel a lot happier when I'm not being piggy and grabby and resistant, <laughs> you know. I'm a lot happier when I can relate with some uh, perspective, with some distance. So Ajahn, Ajahn Chah talks a lot about this, and he says that the, the real practice takes place when, when the mind meets sense objects, like right there in the seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, feeling, right there as that uh, moment is taking place. You know, it's kind of like where the, the rubber meets the road. And he, he says, in no uncertain terms, that the pull or the lure of these objects is great. You can feel it. <laughs> you become very sensitized to it, don't you, as meditators? <sighs> you know, these thoughts that want to be thought and these sensations that want to be gone into, all of this. But, but he says, it's kind of like the, the meat that gets stuck in your teeth every time you eat it. <laughs> He says you get stuck, but you always get stuck, but you can't stop eating it. You know, we, we get caught up in the sights and the sounds and the sensations and the objects, and it's always painful, but, but we can't stop doing it. You know, partly because we haven't seen the pain, but partly because the, uh, the lure is so great and the habit is so great. You know, for me, I don't relate so much to the meat getting stuck in my teeth, but for me, it's popcorn. <laughs> you know, I always, when I eat it, I eat a lot of it. <laughs> and it inevitably gets stuck up in the gums. And, you know, three days later, you're still picking it out, you know. But it doesn't stop me from eating it. <laughs> it's like that, isn't it? So uh, Ajahn Chah and, and Buddha, you know, it says that we have to notice the pain of the grabbing, the, the grabbing hold of everything that we come into contact with, and essentially get fed up with it. That's how Ajahn Chah puts it, just get fed up with it. You know, and this is, uh, the Buddha talks about this as nibbida, the, the disenchantment, or often, it's a word that's often translated as uh, disgust. You know, and it, it, you know, when I first heard that, it didn't sound very attractive, you know. <laughs> Don't particularly want to walk around being disgusted with everything, you know. But um, it, it just takes some understanding of what he's pointing to here. It's kind of like where the, the spell is broken. You know, one is no longer mesmerized by it all. And you know, we know that feeling of being mesmerized, you know. And it's not very pleasant. But uh, it, the spell can be broken, and one's able to, to, to stand back. And it comes from having seen the pain and, and the harm of being so preoccupied. So it, it, it's kind of like um, a, a loss of interest in the clinging. And literally, one develops the capacity to be standing back so freely from it all that you can actually see the things that you usually cling to arise. And you just sort of relate to them from a way that goes, oh, there it is. <laughs> There's that thing I often cling to. And watch it pass away, you know. This is the experience, the quality 
of this kind of disgust or disenchantment. It doesn't have, it, you don't take the bait anymore. You know, and it, it really comes from having seen how it operates, but also seeing the pain of incessantly uh, taking the bait. So, nice stuff, but let's be honest, it's not our usual mode, is it? <laughs> We're often uh, a lot more caught up. And, you know, the thing is, and, and I think it's, it calls for, you know, not a small amount of um, just relaxing around it all and a, and a certain sense of humor about it. You know, we get blindsided. We just get blindsided. And, and uh, you know, you get caught up without even knowing it. And I you know, experienced it a couple of times that it's just like falling asleep. It, it, it's not just like falling asleep, it is falling asleep. You know? You're not awake anymore. We've gotten lost and uh, pulled in and you know, we're, we're asleep. We fall asleep and we didn't know it's ha- it happened. It's not fun, but that's the, that you've got to be able to see it and uh, relax around it a little bit. And in a way, while we're being honest about it all, I think it also has to be said that there is a certain pleasure in getting caught up. <laughs> you know, let's name that. Be honest about it. You know, there's a, there's a, it's a twisted kind of pleasure for sure. But there is a pleasure in it all. And, um, you know, we kind of like being preoccupied with the, the sense realm, with both delights and difficulties. You know, I would, I would watch this uh, in the, one of my first long retreats, and I couldn't believe how much time I spent lost in fantasy. You know, just loved it. And it'd be like, I, I'd hear this voice saying, stop it, don't do it, don't do it. It's like, oh, shut up, you know, <laughs> go away. <laughs> I'm having too much fun, you know. And, and if it was a great fantasy, it was like a, run it through to its completion, and then start it again, you know, and just keep running it and running it and running it, and sometimes adding to it, and you know, to, oh no, I don't want that, I don't like that. Let's put this in there, you know, and and it was it was crazy. I couldn't stop doing it, uh, and of course, after a while, you start to feel the, the pain of doing it and want to want to stop. The, the the wish to make it stop increases, you know but not enough to actually do it. I mean, I used to just bargain, you know. I'd, I'd actually I'd go, okay, you got 20 minutes, you know. <laughs> you can have 20 minutes of the sit, just fantasize to your heart's content, and then, then we got to get down to business. And actually, it was a very effective um, approach because uh, the, the battle, the fighting it was too great. I was getting myself just harder and harder and harder and harder. So I had to open up to this place where... I could just soften a little bit around it. You know, or things like, you know, you, you, who, ha- who hasn't felt the great pleasure of either sitting on the cushion or walking around life through, through, you know, throughout the day, thinking about the way that everybody else is wrong and you're right, <laughs> you know? <laughs> whatever the situation might be, whatever the concern, you know, where we, we, um, there's an issue. And they don't have it right, but I do. <laughs> I love that one. It gives you such a boost of that feeling, you know. It feels so good. I mean, you, you derive a huge amount of identity, 
and, and you know, a twi as I said, a twisted kind of happiness uh, around that kind of uh, uh, experience. I'm being, I'm right. Or just spinning out around a trait that we have or that somebody else has that is wrong. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're coming out of a bias in the mind that there's a right way to be and I or you or them are not being that way. You know, and, and you know, building a whole case. <laughs> My mind loves to build a case. Just, just uh, you know, put all the documents on the table and present them to the judge and, you know, be, be validated in the fact that my position on this matter is correct. <laughs> so it gives us this huge sense of the uplift in it and, and, you know, a sense that something's right and something's being resolved, you know. So we have to say that there's a, there's a pleasure in it. Let's acknowledge that, you know, and because otherwise, if you don't see that, then, um, you know, you, you miss the whole makeup of the lure, you know. There is pleasure in it. And it was interesting to me to, to read at one point where Ajahn Chah was uh, addressing this, and he, he actually says it. He, he says, you know, there are advantages. <laughs> you want to see the advantages to being caught up. Definitely see them. But you also have to see the disadvantages and make sure that the mind is coming at it from this balanced perspective, you know. So it's like, yeah, you know, for me it was like, yes, I love to dream. Oh, I love to dream and fantasize. It feels so good. But I also hate it. I also, I also find it very unpleasant. It's like those moments after you been, you know, watch some stupid movie or watch TV for a couple of hours and you finally click off the TV and you go, oh. you know, what have I done? I've just wasted another two hours of my life, you know. <laughs> oh, I hate that feeling. You know, so it was fun while we were doing it, right? There's a certain pleasure in it, but it's also not fun. And, and, or, or yes, it feels good to win all these arguments and my fantasies, but it also doesn't feel good to be lost in them like this. You know, so this is what he's pointing to. Ajahn Chah would say, see that, see, see both of this. And uh, you know, as, as we train ourselves to see the, the disadvantages as well as the advantages, then the mind begins to become balanced. Because it's not so, you see, the, there's an imbalance. It's not leaning so heavily into this area of uh, a preoccupation with things that, that don't serve us without seeing the, uh, the actual experience of being caught like that. You know, we've got, the mind has to be able to see both sides of the coin and feel the consequences of being caught and, and weaken that grip. And in a way, it, what happens through this whole process is that we, we unhinge a, a really strong emotional attachment that we have to this body and mind. You know, we think it's who we are. And so that's why when it all presents itself, we get completely preoccupied with it. And as we do this, then you begin to get a sense of what the Buddha is pointing to in this unworldly happiness, <laughs> unworldly pleasure, you know, that uh, it's, it's a far greater happiness, the happiness of non-attachment. Letting go, relinquish it, 
You know, look and see for yourself. So realizing all of this is, is a process. And, and um, one of the things that it's really important to reflect upon is that everybody here, all of us, are, are wise enough to have undertaken a practice that looks, takes this, like, like looks at this right in the face, just looks at it head on. You know, we all have enough sense, enough wisdom uh, to be able to do that. So while we're naming the places where we're ignorant, <laughs> let's also make sure that we um, remember to name the, the places where we're also wise, where there's a lot of uh, wisdom operating in the system, and feel good about that. You know, so that so that it can build. You know, look at the time that you've sort of put aside in your life to be able to practice in this way, not just in your daily life, but to come here and practice in this way. There's a lot of wisdom operating there, and so you know, all of us have a, a sense of, of um, really a, enough understanding to recognize that something is off <laughs> in the way that we're in this life. Something is off. And basically, we're just turning our attention to it and trying to figure out for ourselves what that is. What is it? Why, why am I not happy? Why, why do I keep looking for happiness and things that don't deliver? You know, what's going on with all of this? I want to be kind. I want to be good-hearted. Why can't I? <laughs> you know? What's, what's, what's the obstacle? What's obstructing me? What are my fears? What are my anxieties? And just taking all of that head on, having a good look, and uh, trusting that we've got the, the hardware and the software <laughs> to sort that all out. That's the, the, the beauty of this human birth. Yeah? So it's like, feel good about that. <laughs> Let that in. So as I said, I want to look at a couple of these um, tendencies or ways that we don't see clearly and keep getting stuck. So that's one. There's a a tendency to um, constantly be seeking gratification through the sense realm and the not seeing uh, of how that uh, is not the optimal happiness. But here's another way to look at it. And um, really, it's, uh, it's saying the same thing, but coming at it uh, from a slightly different angle. And, and it's this. Um, in the unawakened state, and most of us are still hanging out there, you know, we have this uh, uncanny tendency to be focused on and preoccupied with what are really the objects of the mind, the objects or the conditions of our lives. Either way you want to see it, the objects of the mind, the things that are going on in our lives. And so it it creates this effect where our gaze is ever outward. So he's looking at it, (laughs) you know, and, and, whether, and that you can look at that both um, internally and externally. It's the environments that we find ourselves in, the, the conditions of our lives, the world, but it's also um, our mental states, 
You know, it's like looking at them as objects of the mind. So, um, just what we consider that what we know from the Buddhist teachings um, about the objects, about the conditions, is that they arise and pass away. That um, they're unsatisfactory, and that um, they're impersonal. It's just, it's just kind of all happening. <laughs> yeah? Just kind of all arising and passing away. But um, consider how we go on about it, the things that we get caught up in. So, for example, you know, many of us are getting up there in age, and you know, there's a lot of um, uh, increase in the aches and pains in the body. You know, so the, the mind uh, can get caught up in these. You know, there, there's maybe difficulties with family members or people in our lives, and we get caught up in these. You know, there's, there's all these thoughts of how it works go on a lot at a place like this about how the practice is going, how well we're doing, you know, whether, um, and, and we believe them. They're just ideas that come into the mind. They're very impersonal. They rise, they pass away. You know, grabbing hold of them is suffering, but we get caught in them, <laughs> you know, it, it, it incessantly. And, you know, there's, I mean, just when you take it out to the external world, there's this ever-increasing concern about the polarization in politics and government and things of this nature, things that are going on in the world and um, things even that are going on in various Buddhist lineages, you know, it's pretty close to home sometimes, you know. So I think what the Buddha is trying to help us understand is that this is the way it is. This is the way life is. <laughs> there are all these things going on. And things are unsatisfactory. They're uncertain. And it's all occurring in this very impersonal uh, way. But for a mind that isn't awake, for a mind that is still, granted, working very hard to be awake, but in the process, you know, it's not of not yet being awake. You know, there's a bias towards pleasure, towards certainty, and towards control. <laughs> that, that's the bias in this mind that constitutes the delusion. You know, and we're all caught in it. You know, we, we want it to be nice all the time. We want it to be certain, stable. We want to be on top of it. You know, we, we, we take everything uh, personally and we, don't, we want it all to be, you know, not hurt us so much, this kind of thing. So, but when, when we haven't integrated these profound insights of the Buddhist teachings, the, 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 the characteristics of nature, the way that things are, when, when we haven't seen these realities of life, then the mind just goes into a fren frenzy and, and um, is in incessantly um, trying to do something about those conditions. Yeah? Look, look and see whenever you're spinning out. It, it's trying in one way or another to make something that is difficult not be difficult. <laughs> to make something that is unstable or uncertain or unknown, to make it known and certain and on top of things, to make things that are unpleasant be pleasant, to make things uh, somehow subject to our control. 
So if it's not actually going into a frenzy trying to fix and control and manage and change all of that, it's at least commenting about it. <laughs> Having something to say about it all, isn't it? <laughs> it's just going on and on about it. You, know, you may have noticed this. So, you know, I don't know. You see that go over and over again. It can be a, a point of, of frustration or discouragement. But I think it's important to, um, again, have a little sense of humor about it. I mean, there was, there was one point where I was watching this in my own life and practice. And I don't know, I, I suddenly felt this sense of um, kind of an endearing quality towards this pitiful little deluded mind of mine, you know, <laughs> who was just trying in any way that it could to eke out some small experience of happiness. That's all it's trying to do. It's trying to get rid of things that are hard to deal with. It's trying to make things known that are unknown. It's trying to make things stable and certain and subject to our control. You know, that's not something to hate. You know, it's just, uh, it, 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 I don't know, I had this feeling like, oh, thank you. <laughs> That's so lovely. <laughs> I appreciate that, you know. But it's just extremely deluded, you know. That has to be seen. It's, there's, we're not the better for all that effort because the conditions remain the same. That it does not change. It's always going to be that way. That's the way it is in the human realm. And so, uh, you know, just uh, understand in all of this. So it's not, and this is where we can get tripped up, I think. It's not that we don't do nice things for ourselves. And it's not that we don't do nice things for other people or address the concerns of the world. You know, so we're not saying, oh, it's just unsatisfactory. What can you do about it? Let it go. That's not what the Buddha is saying at all here. You know, but uh, what, what we, we have to, um, to do and, and to know in all of this is that you have to kind of hold all of that within the framework of these three characteristics, the true nature of things. And so that... Uh, one doesn't, one, it kind of short circuits the tendency to, to be preoccupied with outcomes or preoccupied with fixing it and changing it all. Just hold it within its own reality. And then you can act or not act, it doesn't matter. You, you can address concerns, you can address issues, but doesn't, it, it, the, the Buddha in a way doesn't take a stand on that. He just says, because the concern here in the Buddhist teachings is how you're with things, not with the things themselves. So, you know, just to, to be able to see all of this. Because if we don't, otherwise, what ends up happening, and you may have seen this in your life, we, we tie up a tremendous amount of energy just uh, in trying to make everything all right. It's kind of sad, you know. Like I said, there's this wonderful sentiment in it. It's lovely on one hand. Oh, yeah, let me make it all right, you know. But there's a, a level of delusion within that. And one of the things you come to see is that ironically, we, we rarely have a moment of peace. 
because we're so caught up in trying to find peace. It's wild. But that's, the, that's our dilemma. That's what uh, the unawakened mind um, needs to see. So it can sort it out for itself. So I was trying to think of some examples of this, and I'm sure you can think of a gazillion of your own, but one that came to mind, kind of a silly example, but I was watching myself one time. This is, you've probably had this experience of being caught um, singing a song or caught in a jingle, you know, that you can't can't let go of. It just keeps going on and on and on. And funnily enough, when I was uh, thinking about what I wanted to offer tonight and came up with this, experience of being caught in a jingle, it started running again. <laughs> it's been running all day. <laughs> but that's the way these things go sometimes. Well, and one time I was watching TV, and up came um, this uh, particular commercial. And uh, it, it was about uh, getting cash for your structured cash settlement, you know. Yeah, when you need cash now, or something like this, and and on come onto the stage comes this uh, whole um, entourage of operatic singers in full costumes, flamboyant costumes, and they're singing this jingle in this great operatic voice, you know, as if it's something uh, you know really serious, you know, <laughs> and and uh, there was something about it. Who can say? But there was something about it. Maybe it just touched the, my flair for drama, that that hooked me. You know, and I only had to hear it once, and and, and for the for the rest of the day, I was like, you know, dancing around the the uh, condo, singing in this operatic voice, you know, uh, repeating the the jingle over and over again. Well, as you know, it's, it's funny at first. <laughs> <laughs> It was like it was even fun, you know. It was fun to be so dramatic and caught up in this way. But then, but then uh, you can't stop singing it. Yeah, you can't stop being caught up in it, and and so you try to make the mind stop and try to to force it. But you know, have you noticed what goes on then? It, it only makes it worse. It, you know, it's a it's kind of like trying to to get free, you know, when you're stuck in a vat of molasses or some quicksand or something like that. Just every effort that you make to try to break yourself out of it, just, it's like, nah, 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 nah. you know, it just keeps coming back and, and singing and, and going on about like again, again and again and again. So, you know, we, we, we look at this, you know, as practitioners, we want to look at these kinds of things. And, you know, is the effort to clobber and force and make ourselves uh, break out of patterns. Does that work? You know, is it effective, or is it like being caught in the flypaper? You know, um, you know, are, are we any freer uh, for our efforts to, to smack ourselves around? You know, <laughs> or to fix the fix the world, or fix the conditions of our lives? Are we any freer? You know, this is the, the kind of thing one has to look at. And, and a, a lot of practice is just uh, waking up to the fact of, of our um, preoccupation with the objects and the conditions of our lives. We're preoccupied with it. And the gaze, this is what I mean when I say the gaze is directed outwards, you know, trying to change the world. 
You know, it, it's the same mechanism that's going on with trying to stop singing the jingle. <laughs> you know, trying to change the world. You know, it, it just doesn't work. And, but when we stop and, and just try to, to settle with the fact that it's like this, this is an unsatisfactory condition. <laughs> I have to keep enduring this jingle. <laughs> yeah, when you can do that, then um, you actually find that you, you can experience a peace in the, in the presence of it. You can actually, that can actually be running and not be a disturbance. Because where the mind is resting is in a place of peace that is aware of it but not uh, totally caught in it. It's like it comes, it might get caught in it and release, and caught and release, and caught and release. But the dominant feature, it's like the screens begin to shift. The dominant feature of our experience becomes um, knowing it, aware that it's happening, aware of all the subtle little ways that we're relating to the fact that it's happening. But none of it's a problem. It's just, it can all be going on like that. So then, uh, from, from this place, then you're free to act or not in a situation, but you still remain at, at peace. And one of the things I love about just sort of sort, having, sorting some of this out for myself is that you, know, you, you seem to come to a place where you dis- we discover for ourselves that we can survive in an imperfect world. You know, the world is this way. There's nothing to be done about that. But we, we not only survive within it, we actually do pretty well. And we actually do find some sense of peace and, and happiness in it, within it. But we have to discover this for ourselves. We all have to see this for ourselves. So the same kind of thing happens when we deal with people or um, situations in our lives, you know, especially when they're difficult. You know, we all have these kinds of things. You, know, you may have a, a difficult exchange with somebody, for example, and you know, it might only take a few seconds to transpire, but then the mind goes on and on and on about it all day for hours. You know, I remember the one of the first times I really saw this clearly was a difficult man at the monastery when I was there one time. And I mean, I, I probably talked to him for less than a minute. And oh, I hated him for the next 18 hours, you know. <laughs> it was like, oh, it just went on and on and on, going over and over the injustice and the unkindness and, and all of this. You know, we, uh, and you can't stop thinking about it. It's like the, like the jingle. But because of the the bias in the mind towards, towards pleasure and certainty and, and control, uh, what we try to do is try to make it not be that way. Don't we do that Like with the people in our lives? We fix them. We fix ourselves, you know, all in mental processes. It's a, just in, 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 an, in the, an effort to make it not be the way that it is. <laughs> it's wild. It's really wild to watch it. So what, what if you shift um, perspective instead? You know, in, in, instead of being preoccupied with uh, that line of reasoning or that uh, line of thinking, preoccupied with the condition 
and the things that we don't like about it, the person, the situation, the institution, whatever it might be, you know. You know, what if we turn and attention instead um, to the way that we're with it? That's what the Buddha is pointing to. You know, where, actually, where is the suffering? Is it actually in the condition? Or is it in the way that you're with it? And, you know, this is to be answered for, by all of us. This is to be discovered by all of us. So what if we shift um, from directing all of our attention out to the object or to the condition of our lives and, and turning it back, if you will, to what's going on in here? And then you start to get a leg up on liberation. <laughs> that's, that's when things really start to turn around, when one begins to see that that's actually where all the action is. You know, the, the, uh, the efforts to manipulate the world um, are just exercises in futility, a huge waste of energy. But so when you turn around and look, you know, there's a knowing. There's a knowing. It becomes very apparent when we face it head on. And resting in that knowing is actually the, the experience of, of sort of blending calm and insight. It's the direct experience of those. What, what is, what is uh, calm and insight? What is mindfulness and concentration? You know, what is the direct experience of that? Well, you know, it's a, when, when we're resting in those, there's a knowing a calm and peaceful knowing awareness. And, and from this vantage point, one can see what's happening. And um, you, know, you begin to see that the, the problem is not out there. It's all uh, going on right here. So what we have to experience in life may not always be fun. <laughs> it may not uh, always be very gratifying or bring a lot of happiness. But to go on and on about it doesn't help either. You know, it's um, the, the longing and the resistance, the ways that we're relating to what's going on, um, aren't uh, fun at all. <laughs> Very painful, painful experiences. And yet, um, because of the delusion of the mind, we keep turning to those as strategies for fixing an imperfect world when really the peace has to do with taking an about face and making peace with the imperfect world instead of trying to always fix it. So it's better just to, to find the peace uh, within it and uh, then see what happens. You know, as practitioners, we're, we're sort of curious. <laughs> what happens if I relax and find peace in the presence of it? What's that like? Does the world come to an end? <laughs> yeah, in the best possible way. <laughs> yeah. So just uh, one more thing. In, in order to get an, an inkling of um, this shift that takes place to, from the preoccupation with the object to the knowing of it, where that's the locus, that's the center, uh, the field of, of our awareness, um, 
I just encourage you to try this simple exercise. This is something I fell into one time accidentally. I was just standing in the bathroom putting on my makeup and uh, looking into the mirror. And this shift occurred quite accidentally, believe me. I just dropped into it. But um, here's, how, here's how it went, or here's how one could, could do it for yourself. Just uh, stand in front of the mirror and uh, look at the image that's looking back. You, know, you could do it in your imagination right now, but do it um, later on as well. And, and just notice how all the attention tends to be on that reflected image. Yeah? And just if you, can, if you hold it and look, um, just look at that image for a while. See what happens. See what comes up. And um, see how uh, the mind starts to relate to it with all different forms of longing and resistance. There's things that we don't like. There's things that we wish we had. Yeah? You start to see the, the um, almost automatic uh, arising of greed, hatred, and delusion in, in relation to the image because there's, there's a subtle feelings of it being unsatisfactory in some way, imperfect in some way. Uh, I see the stories that are so, so easily developed around it and, and, and just begin to recognize that that's how we live in the world. We're, we're, we're relating to what's going on and, uh, and then we uh, move in to that experience of relating. And our whole world is um, the, the direct experience of having something to say about what is, what is really just a reflected image. Yeah? So that's, that's the sense of being preoccupied with what's out there. Right? So just watch it and, and see. And, and really, what, what, what I think happens in meditation, one of the first, the first layer that gets worked with in meditation is it's just kind of, it's kind of designed just to hold that image and at least weaken those reactive patterns. I'm talking about the image of your face, but it's anything, you know. Just begin to, like, like the whole idea of noticing and trying not to hate, not judging, not criticizing, not having a quarrel with what you see, all that meditation instruction that we hear the first day of our first retreat and that we hear over and over and over again. What that's trying to get at is weakening the grip, weakening this tendency to um, um, be reactive and to live in the reaction to life. Yeah? So that's huge. I mean, if you spend your whole life just doing that, you, could, you can die with a smile on your face. That's a life well spent, just softening around these patterns. But now just uh, stay with this a little bit longer and uh, try to shift the locus of your attention to the one that's doing the looking. You know, try to be the one who's, who is in here, if you will, who's aware of the image, who's looking at the image. And um, it, this can take some practice. You know, it, it's, it's almost, a, at least I, find, I found it kind of wobbly when I try to do it sometimes. It's like... Uh, the mind 
it, it doesn't have the habit of resting in the knowing. It's so caught up in the objects. It does not have this habit. So it can be a little wobbly to begin with, but keep at it. And just try to uh, be the one that knows what's happening, to, to rest in there. And um, when, when you nail it, this is a very different experience. <laughs> you know, even if you only do it for a few seconds, you, can, you get this inkling into what it is that we're caught up in, what our dilemma is. You know, we're totally preoccupied. So, um, and notice that uh, from this perspective of, of knowing awareness, and this is fascinating, the reflected image is fine. <laughs> it's fine as it is. The world is fine as it is from the vantage point of knowing. The knowing doesn't have anything to say about it, does it? It just knows it. It doesn't have a quarrel with the way things are. You know, it doesn't have an opinion or a view. It doesn't think it should be some other way. But yet we have to experience that to get a taste for it. Ajahn Chah would call it a taste of freedom. You know, you've you got to get an experience of, of, of resting in that knowing awareness to begin to trust it. It's scary. You know, but to, 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 to rest there and to trust that we can... Uh, we can actually be in life <laughs> from that place. The knowing doesn't have something to say about it. It just knows. And from this perspective, everything about our lives is fine. <laughs> yeah? And for those, for any of you, that, any of us that have had this a sense of a, a sort of a so-called poor self-image, you know, this, we suffer so much with this kind of thing. Well, you know, what if the way we are is okay? (laughs) That hit me one day. Oh, (laughs) what if that's really true? What if the way I am is fine? Nothing wrong with me. Yeah? You have to hold it there. You have to know this place uh, from within. The the mind is um, even... More and it gets more and more calm. And then it starts to even get interested in this experience of knowing itself. It starts, well, what's that? What is that? What's that all about? Who am I anyway? <laughs> I thought I was all of that. <laughs> this feels a lot more like me, you know. Maybe there's something to be looked at in all of that. So just uh, play with these things, you know, in that kind of simple exercise. You know, you can see the experience of the preoccupation with what's out there and, you know, how, how the mind is focused on it instead of the knowing, so to speak. And as you can see that experience and, and uh, you, you sort of get a sense of the separation that ignorance and self-view set up. You know, that's... That ignorance and self-view is all in that reflected image. It's not in uh, the, the place of the knowing. So, you know, when we're caught in it, then we're, we're actually living in a very superficial world. <laughs> it, it doesn't, it's not only superficial, it doesn't have uh, any 
uh, depth of reality. It's kind of like a, um, a thin layer above what's going on, you know. And meanwhile, that's where we live. But meanwhile, here's where life is actually taking place. <laughs> but we're not in it, you know. So just, you know, with practice, one can begin to experience um, all of these tendencies and the freedom from them. So just to invite you, as you're practicing here in the however much time you have, to, to pay some attention to these tendencies, the tendency to be caught up in the experiences of the body and mind through the, through the senses, and uh, the, experience, the tendency to be preoccupied with what appears to be out there, uh, caught up with the objects of the, the body and mind, and, and working to um, garner the kinds of insights that the, the Buddha is directing us towards. Okay. So I'll offer you this for your reflection tonight. I hope some of it's useful. Shall we sit for just a minute? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.